since 1950, 761 drivers have gotten the opportunity to start a Formula One Grand Prix. Since then, only 107 have actually won a Grand Prix. What would you do if someone took that opportunity away from you? Welcome to Motorsport 101. So, RJ, this so, has been probably one of the wildest Formula One weekends we've had in a long time. Oh, buddy. It was uh, it was chaotic from start to finish. Uh, we had scales getting crushed, and we had shoves getting thrown, and out of all this, Lewis Hamilton still won. <laughs> so, somehow, someway, uh, what... How long has it been since Lewis Hamilton has won a championship and won a race after he clinched the championship? Never. Never. Never? First, he's oh. never won a race after he's clinched a championship. Once he's clinched it early, he's always put it into neutral and called it a night. Okay, so listeners, you're probably wondering... Where is your friendly neighborhood Andre Harrison? Buddy, I'm wondering the same thing. Well, he is off taking a fortnight by Epic Games um, at his new job. <laughs> but don't worry, Dre is going to be back next week. And of course, he'll be on Bike Live on the Motorsport 101 Network. Which, if you back us at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101, at the $5 level, you get early access to both this show and Bike Live every single week. It's awesome. So you got us on, uh, to keep you entertained, the Americans. Um, <laughs> the Americans. I, I am R.J. O'Connell. That's Ryan Ryan King, as you may all know. Um, and of course, we're here. We're here to talk about the big events of uh, of Sunday. That Bills Jets game. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> this is my uh. only opportunity to gloat because I know that one game. Out of Matt Barkley is all that you were probably going to get, but that's still better than zero games out of Nathan Peterman. The Buffalo Bills, so ravaged at quarterback that they can't help but trot out their worst option because they literally had nobody else until they brought back Barkley off the streets. And then you trounce my team. <laughs> I don't understand. Y'all look good for a little bit with Sam Darnold. We did. We did. It's the craziest thing. Like, the Rams, powerhouse. The Saints, powerhouse once again. Uh, the Browns, yeah, they only have three wins, but they could easily have double that. And the Patriots kind of look like a team that's on to decline. They're not good. They're totally going to win the division by a mile. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the AFC East. <laughs> Welcome to the AFC Beast. <laughs> Because buffaloes are beasts and they jump through tables that are burning. Part of me is like Dre scheduled his little vacation because the show he comes back is the show after the Jets play the Patriots. <laughs> oh, it's it's just not gonna it's just not your weekend, your beloved New York Jets, your beloved Manchester City America edition. <laughs> Look, I'm sorry. I I know I know it was a tough exit for 62 year old David Villa. Uh, 
but such is the uh, such is the uh, such the way that sport goes, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, conference semifinal, you know, on paper, is that a better way to go off than winning a USL Cup? I don't know which one's better. <laughs> I'm not even entirely sure. I'm just like, oh my goodness. Um, there's a professional sports team in Atlanta that has the uh, has the opportunity to overcome the hets of the Falcons <laughs> and, you know, the Braves, which were still actually really, really good. But, you know, postseason baseball was just sometimes the postseason gods smile down upon you. And sometimes Lonnie Smith loses a ball in the lights of the Metrodome. <laughs> Such as it goes. But we're not here to talk about uh, failings of the past in other fake sports. We're here to talk about the real action. We're here to talk about Brazil. Oh, man. Where do we even start with this weekend? There was a lot that happened. Uh, and it well, actually wasn't all just uh, Formula One news. We uh, we want to talk about the uh, the Super GT Championship finale at Twin Ring Mategi. And we want to talk about the week that is coming ahead and all the news that has happened in the past week or so, including Fred Watch bearing fruit. <laughs> bearing finally. <laughs> So again, the uh, the places you can find this wonderful podcast, our hub is motorsport101.com for everything, all the podcasts, all the written works, including a wonderful written piece by our friendly neighborhood, Andre Harrison, about World Superbikes in 2019, Jonathan Ray versus the world, how all the factories are coming back to take down a guy with no charisma, because, you know, that's logical. Is this being written by Edgar Wright? Yes. <laughs> oh man. Um, no, it is actually written by Dre, and you can you can read it at <laughs> motorsport101.com if you've not done so already by the time you're listening to this. And if you've not already done so, what are you doing? Um, we are also on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101 for all the wonderful highlights of our shows. Facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We are at Twitter at motorsport underscore one oh one. And if you wish to follow us personally, we are at Harrison101HD, at RJ O'Connell, and at Ryan Eric King with two Ks. And of course, as mentioned, you can back us financially at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. $5 gets you early access to all shows. $10 you can listen in as we're recording. Hi, James. Hi, Brian. Hi, Cam. Hi, Steve. Ah, oh, man. So, we got a lot to get to. But before we get to the main event, Actually, yeah, let's just start at the main event. Let's go to Twin Ring Mateki. Let's talk about this. Yeah, the real main event. Yeah, the real main event. Oh, yes. Um, So we'll take a quick musical interlude, and we'll be back to talk about the Mateki GT Grand Final, the final race of the Super GT season. question um what do you know about super gt 
Well, I know everything you have told me, and I've been watching for, I'd say, probably close to two years now. Uh, and when you heard the news that 17-year Formula One veteran and 2009 F1 world champion Jensen Button was coming to the series, what'd you think? Ooh, partially I felt it was a bit of a semi-retirement, a way to get away from the week-in, week-out, week-in, week-out grind of being in Formula One, but still be behind the wheel of a racing car. And a damn good one at that. Uh, did we ever think, though, that he and his teammate could become champions on the first attempt? Oh, no, not on the first attempt. <laughs> the scene is, uh, it's Tochigi Prefecture, Japan. We're at Twin Ring Mategi, which is very much Japan's version of Monza, right down to the abandoned super speedway oval. <laughs> Going into this final race of the season, Jensen Button and co-driver Naoki Yamamoto in the number 100 Raybrig Honda NSS GT had tied at 67 points with the defending champions of the series, the number one keeper Letsis LC500 of Rio Hirakawa and Nick Cassidy. In one corner, you have two of the best young drivers that are competing in Japan, two drivers that are easily F1 caliber drivers who never got the chance. And in another corner, you have an experienced team. Naoki Yamamoto, who is Honda's ace of their Japanese racing program. Jensen Button, who may be the most famous non-Japanese driver in F1 in Japan, uh, other than Ayrton Senna. And, uh, and, you also have, uh, and you also have team boss Kunimitsu Takahashi. Now, here are some things you need to know about Kunimitsu Takahashi. You race the Isle of Man tourist trophy. And it almost took away everything, more than just his racing career. So he went and switched to cars and did pretty good at that. He drove until he was 59 years old and was still winning races at such an old age. And uh, even after he retired, after racing in Formula 1, winning his class at Le Mans, dominating endurance racing on the national level in Japan, his team... And his car, the Rayburg NSS, a car that even for folks who have never watched the Super GT race up before this weekend, they know about this. They know about this car. If they played a Gran Turismo game or Forza game, they know this car. It looks gorgeous. Yes, it does. Uh, but in 25 years, they won a number of races, but they never won the championship. So all that rides into this final race of the season. And it comes down to a battle for third position between the two cars. Um, Naoki Yamamoto starts the race in the Rayburg NSS. Cassidy starts the race in the Keeper LC500. And of course, three weeks ago, it was those two drivers battling it out for the Super Formula Championship where Yamamoto won by less than a second to win the championship by a single point. The margin was a little bit closer, a little bit more spread out this time because... Yamamoto started second. Cassidy had to come his way back up from sits on the grid. He made up a spot early in the race um, and then just had to kind of wait things out in terms of track position. They both pit on lap 30 was when they both came in in this 53-lap race, and that set up a straight-up fight between Jensen Button in the Raybrook NSS and Rio Hirakawa in the Keeper LC500. Cue the magic of lap 37 
because I don't think this is going to get talked about enough, but Ryo Hirakawa is one of my favorite young drivers in any form of motorsport, and he absolutely, after peeling past two of his teammates, came through with an incredible lunge up the inside of the Epson Etisets of Kosuke Matsura for fourth place with no track room ahead of him. He just, with the mother of all sins. Yeah, that, I I haven't seen the race in full, I've seen the highlights, and man, that is the highlight of highlights. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about a driver who is, uh, who, even for 24, I mean, my goodness, in, when he was a teenager and he won the Formula 3 in Portugal Career Cup Championships, they were already calling this kid the Japanese-made Schumacher, as in Michael, the seven-time world champion, because he races at a... Uh, at a, at a proficiency well above his ears, and he's only 24, and he's going to get better. So that just left Button and Hirakawa to square it off. So, so I have the, I have your review from DailySportsCar.com, and oh, what yes. comes up next seems like something out of a comic book or a movie. <laughs> Which we should remind ourselves that today is uh, November the 12th, and we do want to reflect on the passing of uh, comics legend Stan Lee as well. Yes. 95 years old. What a hell of a life you live, Stan. God yeah. bless you, man. Um, since, I'm, since I don't want to be too much of an egomaniac to read my own material, <laughs> uh, King, can you, just, um, can you just tell me what happened? Okay. Quote, within, within a span of five laps, Hirakawa cut down the margin to button from 5.8 seconds down to just 1.7 with 10 to go with with only 10 to go and another two laps the gap was down to less than a second yeah that's the thing hirakawa was coming on uh on fresh tires and he had open track space and this is one of the things that a driver that is 14 years the junior of jensen button actually has an advantage because this is jensen button's first year as a full-time endurance multi-class sports car driver for Hirakawa, it is his fourth, and he's done the European Le Mans series before and actually won a championship. He's been to Le Mans twice. Jensen Button, in this one rare instance, um, comes in with an experience disadvantage. Yeah. And when you're fighting off slower GT300 cars, that really creates a lot of ebb and flow. And I'll tell you, once they hit the GT300 leaders, that's when I felt like, oh my goodness, maybe there's a chance that this could be overturned in the final laps of the race because it got to within a half a second very, very quickly. Yeah, because you can't you can't drive in the same manner you would if you if you were say on an empty track you can't be you can't take the optimal defensive line because you also have to be aware that you also have to overtake slower cars yes and especially in places where there is not uh, a second groove where a faster car can pass around the outside Mategi has a lot of rhythm sections where you have to stay behind the slower cars and that can become trouble especially if you're trying to put distance between yourself and the competitor in front and ultimately, for several laps, it stayed within a half a second to a second. And at that point, you're thinking, is Tom's going to win in on the final day of the season? Is Team Kunimitsu going to have it ripped away from them on the final day of the year once again? Like what happened in 2006, when they came in with the points lead and lost it on a drive through penalty to Toyota Team Tom's. 
But instead, Jensen Button, with, uh, with his crash course in the WEC and Super GT, he fended off all the traffic, and he had just enough in reserve. Irikawa's tires gave up the ghost, Jensen extended the margin, and after 25 years, Team Kunimitsu and the Rayburg Honda are GT500 champions. <laughs> to quote to quote Jensen Button, this championship is one of the toughest in the world, and that's coming from someone who's raced in F1 for so many years. I feel like a bit of a visitor of this team because these guys at Team Kunimitsu have been fighting for so long. I couldn't be happier. It's a long time coming for me. Last championship I won was nine years ago with Braun. That was quite a big one. And this, for me, at the moment, feels just as big. This is so important. Oh, there's there's nothing else to add to that because, man, the, the way the title fight played out over the course of the season, it felt that close. It felt like he had to fend, like, it, it was back to 2009 and he had, you know, Sebastian Vettel in his he rear view. He had a view. Red Bull sponsored car in his rear view mirror the whole <laughs> <Yeah>. time. <laughs> uh. yeah. Kunimitsu Takahashi himself talked to Jamie Klein of uh, Autosport Magazine and said, you know, as a Formula One champion here in Super GT, I wonder if Jensen was going to make fun of us saying this will be a piece of cake kind of thing. I was wondering if he'd enjoyed it or not, but I've been so impressed with his devotion and trust that he put in the team and your and his fabulous driving abilities. We have several F1 drivers here in Super GT, but your dedication and devotion has been fabulous. You did really well, and you're definitely a superstar. And I've been in, and Kunimitsu said, I've been in over 20 years of racing, and I never got this championship. So I'm proud to be here with both Jensen and Naoki to appreciate this championship fantastic battle. A great present. Thank you. And we also need to talk about Naoki Yamamoto for a second, because he did something special that's only been done four times before. Now, to win the GT500 title is hard enough. To win the Super Formula title by itself is hard enough, and those are two entirely different disciplines of motorsport at the highest level. If you win both of those in the same season, you're probably really good at this. Let's yeah. look at who else has done it. Pedro De La Rosa. Okay, Pedro De La Rosa never won a Formula 1 Grand Prix. Whatever. He spent over 100 Formula 1 Grand Prix starts and was around the sport for 15 years. He's a very good driver. Satoshi Motoyama is maybe the Jeff Gordon of Super GT, to put it, put it in terms. He's a legend. Richard Lyons, similar, similar pedigree. Amazingly well-proven driver all around the world. They won both championships in the same calendar year. And now so too is Naoki Yamamoto, the first double champion in 14 years. Yeah, that's, man, that that's accomplishment that probably you don't see in any other, you know, form, well, region of racing. You, you wouldn't see, obviously, you know, Fernando Alonso had the opportunity, but obviously McLaren weren't going to supply him a car that could do that. Mm-hmm. IndyCar, you don't really see... Uh, a lot of IndyCar guys do IMSA full-time. Yeah, the uh, the closest parallel you would have would be if Scott Ditson ran both IndyCar and IMSA full-time and won the championships of both. Yeah. So that would be your Western parallel. But that's kind of the thing. This culture, you can race top-tier sports cars. You can race open-wheel cars. You can you can even dovetail that with, like, GT or touring cars on the side nowadays. 
I mean, goodness, Kaz Nakajima. You look at his calendar. He does WEC, Super GT, and Super Formula in the same calendar year. That man stays busy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, that's the level that we're working with. And for Naoki Yamamoto to win both those titles, it also gives him one crucial distinction. He has 40 Super License points. I know, he's not going to get a Formula 1 drive. He's 30 years old. He's been at this game for a while, and Formula 1 teams would not take a look at a 30-year-old Japanese driver when, for instance, Toro Rosso have Alex Albon lined up, for instance, who is younger and actually races in Europe. I get that, but man, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah, it's almost like F1 should have wall cards or something. On the other side of the coin, Ryo Hirakawa told, uh, told Ratchet Thukral of Motorsport.com, you know, uh, basically the number 100 was faster without, and without him getting stuck in traffic, it was impossible to make up the deficit. I never had one chance to overtake. Um, I thought Tom's and Lexus had the strength and momentum to overtake. Jensen thought it would be painful for me to watch, but in the end, he held strong. I'm really grateful for that. It's pointless thinking about what ifs. It's so frustrating. I can't put it into words. And I think for Hirokawa and Cassidy, I think they should not feel ashamed of the job they did. They are, they came three points and a second and a half away from becoming the youngest back-to-back champions in series history at 24 years of age. Yeah. Good health and good fortune willing, they will both win multiple championships in this series, maybe in some others. Maybe they might get those F1 or Indy 500 or Le Mans drives that they deserve. They've got time on their side, and they're going to be back. It was, yeah, that was a good race. If you if you want, watch the race in full on Nismo TV, or at least watch the highlights on Jensen Button's YouTube channel. They're amazing. And shout-outs as well to the new GT300 champions, the number 65 Leon Custos Mercedes-AMG GT3 of Haruki Kurosawa, the team's co-owner in his 15th season, finally winning his first championship. Uh, his father, Motoharu, was the first G- Super Formula champion, and his older brother, Takia, um, has done things. He's He raced briefly in IndyCar at some point, um, and he's won a number of races over a number of years. And Nao Yagamo as well, who is a fine young driver in the GT300 category. They have a lot of great homegrown talent in that series, and, he's, uh, and he won it on his 29th birthday. King, what would you do if you won a birthday pre- if you won a championship on your birthday? <laughs> I'd probably do something and be like gone for like a week. <laughs> Man. Also as well, that Prius finishing second, last race for the mid-engine Prius before it is eventually replaced what we think will be a front-engine Prius with a larger V8. But it's not going to be one that was in an LMP1 car for years. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a good send-off for that Prius. By the way, if you've not yet seen the uh, Super GT puts up their uh, their clips of the uh, the all-drivers appearance, which is their driver introduction ceremonies, and Koki Saga, who's been driving that Prius since it got off the ground in 2012, has turned that driver introduction ceremony into his chance to play dress-up. He has been a Thai kickboxer, he has been an Oni, he has been Mount Fuji, and this this weekend he was a box of lemon curry. I love this championship so much. 
and uh, I, I and uh, I do want to thank this time to thank everybody who's been uh, keeping up with it. I hope that you know with the work that I've been doing here and elsewhere that you know I hope I've been able to expand this series audience a bit, which is really awesome. All right. Now that we're out of the good stuff here, let's get, let's cut to the let's cut to the shit of the matter. <laughs> let's go to Brazil. Let's go to Brazil. Let's uh let's take a quick musical interlude and uh let's start uh and uh let's uh remember to touch gloves and uh and uh let's have a good clean fight. Do, do, do. When you think of Brazil, what comes to mind when you think of Brazil? Uh, Christ the Redeemer, um, Ayrton Seta, Pele. Mm, yeah, those are those are all good things. And what do we know about Ayrton Senna besides his passion? Um, he was a very passionate driver, so to say aggressive on and off track do you think he would have appreciated what happened after the race or even during it we know that lewis hamilton won from pole position you don't have to us you don't need us to tell you that <laughs> lewis hamilton is very good at driving a race car we're gonna bury the lead and tell you that he's won 50 out of the last 99 races that encompass the entire turbo hybrid formula one era that is a guaranteed 50 percent win rate since 2014 yeah, even though a lot of the ways it seemed like it wasn't going to happen, considering that, you know, Hamilton wasn't the quickest over the course of the practice sessions. No, no, Red Bull were uh, Red Bull were putting up some good times, but of course that's Red Bull, and you often have to wonder if that pays it legitimate or not. Uh, Mercedes have become very, uh, well, they've been chewing through tires quite a bit, but of course that's Mercedes' problems. Mercedes' problems are like Alabama football's problems. If Tua <laughs> Tagovailoa gets injured, they just have to settle for putting in Jalen Hurts, another five-star, can't-miss, all-dominating quarterback. Yes, dazzling depth. Dazzling depth. <laughs> yes. Um, so it comes down to time of the race, and... Uh, Lewis Hamilton's got pole because of course he does. He's the all-time qualifying king. Oh, but qualifying though, <laughs> there was controversy there too. <laughs> oh man. So we're going to skip around a bit and tell you that Sebastian Vettel finished sixth. but I'll tell you what else happened. He also crushed the scales and sure when <laughs> Sebastian Vettel crushes the scales, he gets fined $25,000 and gets a reprimand for something that isn't in the rule books. Yet when I crush the scales, my doctor tells me that I'm grossly overweight and need to make serious lifestyle changes. <laughs> oh, we, we're, we're going to have to do a bit of a play-by-play -play in this situation of how did we get to the point where Sebastian Vettel is crushing scales. Yeah, so it's um, so I want to say it's Q two, I believe. 
is the yes, session. Yes, it is the opening of Q2. And not only that, but it's starting to piss it down in Brazil, as it often tends to do, because Brazil's subtropical climate all, always, well, not always, leads to rainy conditions. And it was starting to pour it down here and on a uh, on a track that was not improving, let's just say, Sebastian Vettel was desperate to get as much time out on the dry track as he could. And then he was summoned into the Weybridge. Yes. So what had happened was uh, Ferrari sent him out on Super Softs. Uh, they didn't feel like that was the optimum tire. Obviously, for Q2, they want to set, you know, y- you're setting it on your race start tire. So they call him back in to switch to Softs. On his way back to his pit box, he's called to enter the Weybridge. Note, Sebastian Vettel has not set a time. Yeah. Yeah, so he is very impatient as he knows the rain is coming down. He is just like, let's get this show on the road. But how do you break a Weybridge like this? So, let's... So, RJ, I understand that you probably stood on a scale before. Yeah, um, I have. Uh, would you say, would you ever jump up and down on a scale? I absolutely would, because I'm a seven-year-old at heart. <laughs> Do you think they would be able to get an accurate weight reading if you were jumping up and no, down No, but scale? it makes the needle go up and down. <laughs> so, that was essentially the situation when Sebastian Vettel pulled into the Weybridge. He was instructed by the FIA, to the FIA delegates, to turn off his engine, and he did not. He did not. Did he did he spin the tires on the scale? No, he did not spin the uh, tires on the scale. Yeah, and I also it did it did, it did not move a half rotation. I did uh, I did see him just like yeet one of those uh, traffic cones out of the way as he was pulling in. Yes. Yeah. So out of all that, it was just like, oh man, oh man, they're gonna throw the hammer down on Sebastian, only to realize that wait, the FIA has never really had anything like this happen. Uh twenty five k and a slap on the wrist. It's fine. I yeah, because it's yeah. Out of all this, by the way, this uh, this happening as Lewis Hamilton was uh, was uh, throwing blocks on drivers like Sergey Sorotkin in the same space of qualifying. <laughs> Which I think we'll get to briefly, but I need to mention that it is a rule in the FIA that you know it's in the international sporting code, so it's irregardless of series, it's it's required. And yeah, the weird thing about the FIA rule book, there isn't assign penalties to each violation it's kind of like hey you get you get a certain list of viol- you get a certain list of penalties you can give you just pick one from the list and just give it wherever you feel applicable and we wonder why people have uh have apprehensions about the uh, the consistency of fia stewarding <laughs> i just take it i just take it as it comes honestly yeah uh Lewis Hamilton no. might have been a naughty boy during qualifying as well, I take it. Yes, 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 he was. <laughs> I think he actually, um, did he not, he did retract later on trying to put the blame on Sorotkin for that. It looked like a hard swipe. Yeah, it looked like a hard swipe. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it felt like partially it was not checking his mirrors, probably thought Sorotkin was in a different place, you know, I don't think it was intentional, but there was, you know, still a bit of damage done. And you can't play it off as, you know, Sorokin wasn't on a hot lap. You know, the sign, this kind of sounds like we're foreshadowing events that would happen later on the following afternoon. <laughs> oh, before uh, we even get to that afternoon, have to clarify some things that have gone on Twitter about the whole Waybridge situation. 
FI did not purposely call in Sebastian Vettel to the Waybridge. It is done by random. They just, you know, you know, it's pretty much whatever's the next car that comes yeah, in. It's a get random. Weighed. It's like a random drug test for your car. Yeah. So it's like next car that comes in gets weighed. Oh snap! The next car in is Sebastian Vettel. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like a TSA screening. It's like a randomized drug test, but there's no yeah. whizinator for your car. Yeah. So. Vettel got the shit luck of the draw. That That's all that happened. Yeah. There was not... I don't know how, why the FIA would be assisting Mercedes. <laughs> yeah. It just goes to show that the FIA stands for Federal International Automobile. I guess that's right. <laughs> that's close enough. It's, it's close enough. The official motto of Motorsport 101. <laughs> Apart from, remember that, it becomes important later. We love you, Drake. Um, so we've, we've said a lot of stuff that you need to remember later at this point. <laughs> yeah. Such as the fact that the Mercedes and the Red Bull are starting on super softs, the Ferraris are starting on the soft tires. Ferraris don't get as much of a good start because they're on a harder compound tire. Uh, and Max Verstappen is motoring his way up from the field from fifth on the grid. He makes quick work of uh, makes quick work of Kimi Raikkonen. He makes quick work of Valtteri Bottas, and he makes quick work of Sebastian Vettel. And he is chasing down Lewis Hamilton at one point in the race. Like we're seeing, uh, we're seeing a Mercedes get run down in a straight up fight on race pace. That was Red Bulls could go around this track. And uh, and for like half of the race, it definitely looked like uh, it definitely looked like Matt Verstappen could get this, would you not say, King? Yeah, it, it I I don't want to say it was guaranteed. Because nothing in Formula One's guaranteed. No, nothing is guaranteed. Hamilton pits on lap 19. That cycles Matt's up to the front of the field. Verstappen is able to go extra, extra long on his first set of tires and pits on lap 35. And at this point, you're thinking, man, Verstappen could just, he can he could probably do this. He could probably yeah. pull this off. Verstappen was in a position where he was the most probable winner. Uh, all things and... You know, it's funny because uh, anything can happen in Formula One, and it usually does. We go in the lap forty-four. Max Verstappen has a has a clear lead in this race. He's ahead of Lewis Hamilton by several seconds. He also has uh, the lap car of Esteban Ocon, the Racing Point Force India, which has a DRS advantage, and is trying to fight his way back onto the lead lap. Now, you don't often see this in F1 because usually, you know, if you're about to go lap down, you get the blue flag and you're told to get out of the way, and that's pretty much it. Uh, but Ocon had a uh, top speed advantage, and he was making reasonable moves at that same corner of the track. This is the Senna S's at the first sector, the downhill left-right-left left sequence that leads into the back straightaway. Ocon has a uh, has a look upside for Sappen. For Sappen at this point is not racing Ocon. Ocon at this point is not racing for Stappen, but Ocon feels that he is quicker at this section of the track and could get his lap back. Ocon commits to the inside line coming through turns two through turn two. He takes the inside line. Verstappen is committed to the inside of turn two as well because he has the right of way as the lead lap car. They make contact. 
Verstappen goes for a spin. Ocon goes for a spin. Lewis Hamilton goes to the lead of the race. And Mass is actually a little bit lucky he didn't get taken out right there on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Because that was a hard, hard hit. Lewis Hamilton goes on to win the race. Max Verstappen puts all the effort he can muster into try and claw back this advantage, but it just isn't enough. Hamilton wins it by one and a half seconds. Max Verstappen finishes second and is very, very angry at Esteban Ocon. Oh, God. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of NASCAR Thunder 2004. <laughs> Where you have allies and rivals based on how you drive people throughout your career. And let's just say Esteban Ocon was in full-on rival mode. Oh my god, yeah. If you if you got it up to like 60, they would basically just try and punt you out of the way regardless <laughs> of circumstance. It's Daytona! I'm dumping you anyway! So, all that we could talk about, because we don't want to talk about Lewis Hamilton winning, um, as special as that was, but uh, all we can talk about is the Verstappen and Ocon incidents. So, let's unpack it. Let's start with the wreck itself. Uh, because we've had a good uh, over 24 hours to kind of uh, assess all the information, assess all the angles, um, and start to think rationally instead of emotionally with this. Uh, King, what did you make of this? Oh my god. Uh I've seen a lot of takes on this. It oh, he was he was racing racing him a bit hard. Like look, it was a move that he could have made later down the road. Yeah. Like, like I I understand why he made the move. I don't understand when he made the move <laughs> to basically put in that point like he could have just because he would have gotten DRS. Yeah, he down would the have he would have DRS out of turn three anyway. So if he was so if he didn't make the move there, he still had another prime overtaking opportunity to make the move anyway. Yeah, and like I understand why people are upset because he was you know a lapped car, but at some point you have to realize that. You don't have to respect the blue flags. Yes, you have to let them pass. But that's when you're the slower car. If you're faster in a lap down, you do have the right to race back your, you know, race back your lap. That's the thing about American racing in general. NASCAR makes a big deal about drivers fighting to stay on the lead lap. Um, IndyCar, of course, has come under... Have, we've talked about how IndyCar does negotiating lap cars as opposed to F1. Uh, that's come up a number of times. You know, in America, it's more acceptable to fight to stay on the lead lap than it typically is in Formula One. Yeah, but it's down to that situation where, yes, you have to respect the blue flag in Formula One to pull over, but if you are faster than the leader, you can overtake the leader, which I think some people just don't understand fully. But, yeah, we end up in weird situations because... I've seen it brought up in many places that, yes, lap cars do get DRS from cars ahead of them, even if they are on the lead lap, and it works vice versa as well. Yeah. How many times have we seen leaders get a uh, get a toe that they maybe shouldn't have because they got it off a lap car? 
The only time that DRS can be used offensively is if you pick up lap traffic ahead. Um, for me, I feel like I feel like it was a very risky pass on Ocon's part, and and that's that's entirely fair. You know, he's not racing the leader. Um, you know, eventually Ocon will get past, and they're and they're gonna finish like a minute apart anyway. Uh, but the thing is as well. Verstappen also has a tendency, you know, he is going to take the risk that is available. He's going to go for it, even when the risk is not always there. Verstappen did not have to take that hard of an inside line, did he, Don? No, he didn't have to. And I think, I think that's the part we need to talk about, their their prior relationship. (laughs) Yeah, these two are rivals going back to their days in the European F3 Championship, the year that Matt's Verstappen exploded on the radar, but who was the guy that won the championship? Esteban Ocon. Yes, and they had some famously hard races, including uh, a weekend in Spa that's probably still up on YouTube somewhere, and I would recommend you watching because... Man, anytime they were on the front row together to start a race, you knew there was going to be fireworks for the next couple laps. They were fairly clean with each other, but it it was close to some argy-bargy. Right, yeah, so they have a history between each other. Ocon has had the uh, the harder road up to the top of Formula 1, whereas Verstappen was hot shots at the top right from the beginning. And this is what I don't get, is like, Everybody is piling on Ocon for this, you know, more than just what is necessary. I'm like, okay, made the one dumb decision of his career. Uh, he made the one bad blunder in his racing career. Don't pile on a guy that's like, that's going to be out of an F1 ride at, at the going rate. You know, for Sappen al- will already have his supporters in his corner no matter what happens. Don't pile on Esteban Ocon. On top of that, he made a mistake. Yeah, he he made a mistake. It happens. Uh, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure for Max Verstappen, it won't be his last opportunity at a Grand Prix victory. Yeah, for Esteban Ocon, if this Mercedes, if what we're hearing is right, he may not be racing until 2020 at the very, very minimum. Yeah. Yeah. Verstappen, though, uh. will have his chances, and he's still touted as a future world champion. Um. So that's where I stand on that. I mean, I feel like, you know, I feel like a lot of the animosity comes from the uh, the far-fetched conspiracy that, oh, Mercedes Jr. driver Esteban Ocon takes out Max Verstappen to benefit Mercedes Sr. <laughs> driver Lewis Hamilton and help him win the race, which, which buddy, you're in the, long, the wrong line of work. Yeah, like, it seems so far-fetched that Mercedes would even ask that because, for the most part, uh what Hamilton already clinched the drivers championship. Yeah, and Mercedes they're, they're going to clinch the constructors championship anyway. Which, by the way, Mercedes clinched the constructors championship <laughs> for the fifth year in a row. Yeah, Mercedes clinched the constructors championship. Um, they weren't racing Red Bull for that championship. They arguably they weren't even racing Ferrari for it by the time this race ended, because if yeah. they weren't going to wrap it up here. They were. They had to have a Ferrari one to finish on a double DNF to lose it at Abu Dhabi. Oh dear, it's it's th- that it was an outlandish conspiracy theory that made no sense. And I also feel like maybe we'd be less heated about it if it was Sebastian Vettel coming through to take the lead and not Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, but all in all, all in all, so far, Esteban Ocon received a 10-second stop and go penalty, which, which is, he rightfully deserved. Yeah, 
at this point, people were just like, well, what good is this going to do? This is the most that Formula One can do to administer discipline during a race, apart from just black flagging. And some people have even said, well, why didn't they just black flag him? Well, that's the same penalty they gave Vettel for bumping Hamilton under the safety car. But they should have got black flag. Okay, now you want races to be decided in the steward's office. You're not going to want that. Yeah, that's that's the reason why they came up with the stop-and-go penalties in the first place, so they wouldn't have to black flag people. Yeah, not... It was careless, but it was not, like, so egregiously terrible that it deserves... Yeah. Um, that it deserves public embarrassment and shame. Yes. Like, I'm pretty sure he would have gotten black flagged if uh, Verstappen had been, you know, had to retire from the race or another car got collected in the accident. Yeah. As we are on the 24th anniversary of Eddie Irvine picking up a two-race ban for, uh, for, well, whatever the hell that was in Brazil in 1994. (laughs) Goodness gracious. So, but I... Out of all this, Matt Verstappen is very heated on the radio. Yes. Um, could you pull up the quote while we uh while we vamp for just a bit and tell, man, what did Matt Verstappen was not happy? What did he say he was gonna do if he found him? Ooh, I can't find the quote because a lot of people are trying to not publish that quote. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's that's very fair, but we're not even to the juiciest part of this beef history just yet. <laughs> so Verstappen loses the race by a second and a half, and he's upset after the podium. Like, he is he is short with Paul DeResta um, to the point where it's just like, I, I'm surprised he even did the interview, to be honest. Yeah, post-race interview, he does in part for me. But most notable part of about that is after the interview, he does not head up to the cool-down room. No. He heads to the Weybridge. Ah, there again? it is. Oh, yes, the threads are tied together. <laughs> so, the Weybridge is not the place where the podium-winning drivers go after the race, at least not immediately. This is where everybody else goes to, you know, get checked out. Yeah, Esteban so- Ocon is there. But Matt Verstappen yeah. sees an opportunity. He makes a beeline. King, what happens next? Uh, we get into a shoving match. Like, literally, that's what it boils down to. Uh, afterwards, Verstappen claims that he was only there to have a word with Ocon. I find that extremely unlikely. <laughs> French uh, French television channel Canal Sport uh, picks up Verstappen making a beeline to Ocon. Um Words are said, and then Verstappen gives a little shove. Gives him just a little shove. Ocon looks at him just like, what in the heck are you doing, lad? And Verstappen <laughs> gives him gives him a little shove again. Ocon just kind of has to kind of bat his hand away for just a bit. And out of all this, Verstappen is furious, and Ocon is just laughing his ass off. Um, and I think he may have been laughing for the same reason I would be laughing. Like, Esteban Ocon is like six feet tall. That is a super heavyweight in F1 terms. And to quote Al Worker, Esteban Ocon probably would have dropped him like a bag of dirt if he was feeling like it. Yeah. And though, like, the situation, of the, like, 
no one was like, hey, Max, uh, no, you don't You don't get weighed here. You get weighed in the cool-down room. No one said anything. The driver is just like, just acting like, this is normal. Nothing's happening right now. The stewards reviewed video evidence from the FIA's closed-circuit television cameras and heard from the driver of Car 33, Max Verstappen, the driver of Car 31, Esteban Ocon, and the team representatives. The driver, Max Verstappen, entered the FIA Waybridge Garage... Proceeded directly to driver Espan Ocon and following a few words, starting an altercation, pushing or hitting Ocon forcefully several times in the chest. The stewards held a hearing in which both drivers acted appropriately and cooperated with the stewards. The stewards understood from Max Verstappen that he was extremely upset by the incident on track during the race and accepted his explanation that it was not his original intent to strike Ocon, but that he was, and I quote, triggered and caused him to lose his temper. Man, FIA, what what year is this? <laughs> For all of this, Max Verstappen was given uh, was given two days of public service. Ah, uh, that that seems like the biggest slap in the wrist of, about this whole situation. <laughs> and also three penalty points. Okay, <laughs> three dry, license penalty points, and I think. Uh, um, so there were a couple of things here during the race. Like, I mean, we were all going in on Force India's Otmar Sapnauer uh, for uh, for going at David Croft. <laughs> Look at it again, Crofty. Oh Which my at God. the time you were thinking like, okay, Otmar's just here to defend his guy, but he has no right to do so. And as time goes on, maybe you just kind of realize, eh, maybe he kind of has a point. Yeah. I mean, I know he's mostly there to stick up for his driver because he's not going to throw him under the bus. No. I just thought it was funny. It was just like somebody <laughs> having like a hostile conversation with, with David Croft over the air that doesn't involve Christian Horner swearing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I, I do think we need to talk about the the online reaction to this incident because... Man, it it made it seem like we needed to dedicate a special fifteen minute like segment of Fight Club to just eat their interaction in the Waybridge. Fight, 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 Fight Club is back, y'all. This is what your Patreon dollars go to. Fight Club is back. Uh, I think we pretty much said everything we need to say about the altercation in the pit lane, though people pretty much feel like. It might as well have been like they've went straight on MMA in the Waybridge. I mean, for Formula One terms, that is pretty much it. Um, again, maybe this is our American background speaking, through, but we've seen drivers get tasered on track and actually done a live uh, reaction of it for this podcast. You're welcome. Though, there is the other side of the fence. There's like, I completely defend what Max Verstappen did. Uh, he was right to do that. And I'm I'm one of two minds about the situation. One, yes. wasn't that bad. Two, no, I don't condone this at all. <laughs> I definitely I, uh, understand the anger of someone who was, uh, you know, I, I, I would have, I probably would have done the same thing. And that's why I'm not a Formula One racing driver. Yeah, and I don't know. I would have done the same thing, but I would have also expected to be fined for it. Um, though, like, the calls for people were like, oh, you should be in anger management if you would have done the same thing. And I'm like, uh, I don't know, guys. It is for, like, it's if for 25 I somehow... points. He has a chance <laughs> to take third in the championship. 
Yeah, this is the FIA Formula One World Championship. And, again, we need to reiterate, um, this is the FIA Formula One World Championship. They're driving cars that can achieve speeds of over 200 miles an hour. Like, if you say completely just... If if Max Verstappen was banned for for the next race for this altercation, like it would have caused, I I would say this wouldn't be the last time Max Verstappen would have done something like this. It probably would be worse next time around if he got a race ban. Because again, uh, they drive cars that go over two hundred miles an hour, and if Max Verstappen knows he's going to get a race ban for something he does off the track, on the track would be a completely different story. Hey, maybe next time I'm lapping Esteban Ocon, I might just put my car right into the side of him. And, you know, um, yeah, we, we don't. Ocon could be seriously injured and not, might, not, might not be in the way bridge to be in an altercation like this. So I'd rather have drivers be able to face each other outside the car, whether. Yeah, and that's the like, thing. Not like, not in the car. <laughs> it's it's ultimately in the long run. It's a it's a harmless shoving match. We can have a few laughs at it once we come to our senses and realize that hey, this is you know, you know, we we always say that we want Formula One drivers to have more personality and short more passion, and then this happened. And you're just like, oh no, this is terrible. This is the worst thing. Granted, I do not con. I I, I can't say we we've, we've never condoned any fight on Fight Club. Yeah. When it, we do not, we do not recommend you try this at home. Please do not drive a Formula One car at home. It's dangerous. You could get, you could get pulled over for that. But there is also, you know, the troubling threads of uh, of Matt Verstappen, who has shown that he is a little less immature at sometimes, as he was starting to come around. Who has a father yeah. who has very well documented <laughs> anger issues, both when he was a driver. And after his driving career, as he was helping to bring Mats up into Formula One, and the one thing that I always worry about as Mats was coming up was that, you know, I hope that Mats Verstappen is ten times the talent that his father is without any of the baggage. Unfortunately, yeah. that's starting to accumulate a little bit. Not as much. You know, yeah, you, not as you'd, much. Hit, you'd have to be, you you got to put in the work to be like Yas. Yeah. Like, the, the penalty that Verstappen got for the incident is... Fair, the penalty points is fine. Community service, I probably would have been more stringent. Maybe, you know, put in a cash fine. Uh, because, number one, drivers do need to have an outlet so they're not aggressive on track. That's partly, it's part of the reason why, like, why fighting is, while not condoned in ice hockey, it's not completely banned in the NHL. Yeah, you can fight if the sport is right. Yeah. <laughs> And, what, the last time someone, well, someone did use their car as a weapon recently, where we had Dan Tictum face a year-long ban for using his car as a yeah. weapon. Yeah. Who is, uh, who also happens to be in the Red Bull camp as well. And, uh, by the way, props to, uh, to Red Bull's, uh, upper management for trying to stir up the shit anyway. I'm sure that certainly <laughs> didn't help, uh, when Helmet Marco was having a go. Yeah, I, I don't know. There's there's something weird about Helmut Marco where he hates his boys, but he'll back his boys. <laughs> it's it's the strangest thing. So, <laughs> out of all this, um, what did we learn as Formula One fans? 
stuff happens. <laughs> stuff, stuff happens. Yeah. This is a very stressful job. And if you're already predisposed for years of racing against somebody and you know their history and you don't get along well, it can boil over in a heartbeat. And sometimes yeah. that can play out in front of a, a worldwide audience of hundreds of millions of people. Or tens of millions, depending on how you view the paywall. <laughs> uh, but, like, long term, not that bad. I'm, I'm happy it played out this way. Yeah. Also, isn't it kind of funny how the last time we had a, uh, we had a, uh, we had an incident in Brazil where a leader got taken out kind of carelessly. It also happened to involve Verstappen. That would be when Yas Verstappen climbed over the back of Juan Pablo Montoya and robbed him of his first win and only his third start in 2001. Of course, F1 had the uh, had the video ready to go. Five times where leaders took were taken out by lap cars. <laughs> so of course you got PK Salazar. You got Ayrton Senna and Jean Louis Slesser breaking up the perfect season. And of course you had Verstappen, and uh, and of course you had Verstappen and Montoya, and now Verstappen and Ocon. Oh, <laughs> it's a lot to digest. I mean, I I mostly come down. My my anger was not just so much at the crash. I was just like, quit picking, quit picking on Esteban for God's sake. Yeah, quit picking on Esteban. And I don't know who said this quote, but they're one hundred percent right. I'm glad Yas was not here this weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we we didn't need that. There's a lot of things we don't need Yas Verstappen for, honestly. Uh, so, oh yeah, and a race happened, and Lewis Hamilton won, and Matt Verstappen finished second, and Kimi Raikkonen and Daniel Ricciardo had a very good scrap for the final podium Ooh. place. Raikkonen picking up his 12th podium of the season, and that means he has more podium finishes this year than does Sebastian Vettel. What in the world? <laughs> Vettel also picking up that uh, Vettel also had sensor issues, uh, sensor failure uh, on his car that helped him keep up from moving from P6. Botas finished in P5 after basically throwing up the big finish wall. For most Man, of that big finish wall. <laughs> and we forgot to mention as well, Alpha, Alpha Sauber had a terrific weekend. Again, we've said it all along. Their revival is the success story of the season. Charles Leclerc started 7th and finished 7th. Best of the Formula 1.5 gang. Um, and he was running up with the, with, with the Ferraris. He was running ahead of the Ferraris at some point. Yeah, I... I Leclerc just keeps getting better and better. It's, it's scary. It, it, I don't... I don't want it to stop, but it's like, should it stop? <laughs> the thing that really caught my eye was in Q2 when on a wet track, Charles Leclerc thinks he has no opportunity to advance a position and get ahead of Marcus Erickson and get his way into Q3. Uh-uh. Pulls out a stunner of a lap. <laughs> and it was at that moment that everybody screamed in unison, it is he. Which I'm glad that he is in on the meme now. Yeah, <laughs> prepare for Leclerc. Poor Marcus Erickson, though, actually outqualified him in Q3, but from making contact with uh, with the Haas of Romain Grosjean on the opening lap, the car just fell to shambles, and he was the first retirement of the race, and that sucks. This was looking like his best day in the Formula One office, and a day Damn. where Schmidt Peterson Motorsports signing for 2019 
really looks brilliant, you guys. Yep, it's looking more and more like Marcus Erickson was the right guy for that seat. I'll tell you, um, Haas had a pretty good day. Romain Grosjean finished 8th, Kevin Magnussen ninth. Sergio Perez did salvage points before seeing a 10th. But um, I want to go back to 11th place Brendan Hartley because Toro Rosso had the funnest, dumbest radio scrap. They, di- they, didn't, they didn't want to stay behind each other. And they wanted to get ahead of the other person. But ultimately, they realized that none of this matters because it was only for 11th place. Yeah, and it uh, it was, part of me was like, it's only, that seemed like a very weak excuse because, you know, right after 11th is 10th place. And that's where the points start. Like, I, he pretty much smothered, <laughs> smothered, you know, smothered Brendan Hartley's race because Carlos Sainz is closing on him. It's on fresher tires. Like, just just switch positions with him. Just just let him go through. Yeah. If we haven't made a point of this, the relationship at Toro Rosso is becoming frosty at best. Um, Hartley and Gasly have taken jabs at each other. We know Hartley's pretty much a man on the way out at this point. Pierre Gasly is on the way moving up to Red Bull. Um, It's not a healthy working relationship. Yeah, and man, though it feels like Gasly's already getting that I'm a first team driver mentality, and you know, obviously that that probably did not help the relationship at all. The fact that yeah, your teammate's gonna be moving up to the A team. You wait until after Abu Dhabi. We'll let you know. We'll we'll let you know after Abu Dhabi when we decide to hire Alex Albon. I mean, when we <laughs> when we make our decision. Um. Oh yes, and out of all this, because we'll we'll get to the driver standings a bit. Uh, the rest of the finishing order: Hartley eleventh, Signs twelfth, Gasly thirteenth, Ocon ends up fourteenth for his troubles. Stoffel Van Dorn in fifteenth, Sergey Sorotkin sixteenth, Fernando Alonso after a five second time penalty finishes down in seventeenth, but he doesn't care as we'll get to later in this episode. Lance Stroll was the last of the runners at eighteenth. Nico Hulkenberg, for the first time ever in Brazil, fails to finish, fails to classify. <laughs> I believe the first time since 2012 since that happened. He's usually very good around here. And Marcus No, Anderson. random note. What, what, what? I can't remember the last time someone swore in the press conference. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It was this, uh, was this about Verstappen's comments about Ocon in the post-race? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I think it's fun that uh, out of all that, they they shook hands outside the outside the uh, the, the stewards room, just walked out and shake hands. Uh, man, I don't think this beef history is over, RJ. <laughs> no, no, it isn't. Uh, the driver standings. Yes. Lewis Hamilton leads by 71 points. He's wrapped up the championship. I want to skip on down to that battle for third. Kimi Raikkonen at 251. Valtteri Bottas at 237, Matt's Verstappen at 234. Man, that's a big point swing. That's seven points that Verstappen lost, and, and uh, he could be fourth in the championship. We'll see what happens in Abu Dhabi. Daniel Ricciardo, the best of the 1.25s in sixth. <laughs> um, honestly, it's just a miracle that he even got to finish. Yeah, now, and it seems like... Wow. Yeah, Formula 1.5. <laughs> Nico Hulkenberg may have clinched the title with an 11-point margin to Sergio Perez. Um, 
I, I this is the strange thing because the battle for eighth, it's Perez at fifty eight, Magnuson at fifty nine, Alonso is still tenth at fifty. Let me talk about the the dumbest shit ever. Let me talk about the fact that McLaren qualified eighteenth and twenty at Brazil. Uh, that was their worst qualifying performance in uh, yeah, I want to say it was over thirty years, was it? They've been yeah, it's bad. at least 30 years. They've been bad since the middle of the season. They have been horrendous. They've been on par with Williams, who've been a horrendous all year. And out of all of this, they're still going to wrap up sixth in the Constructors' Championship. <laughs> Man. So, like, I don't somehow... The independent British teams have never looked worse, but somehow they're stumbling their way to mediocrity. McLaren, the the college football team that in the middle of a rebuilding year goes five and one to start the year. Everything is going their way. They finish the year sits and sits, and it's off to the Birmingham Bowl you go. <laughs> I remember when that was the Pittsburgh invitation. I remember when that was the PapaJohns.com bowl. <laughs> <laughs> The constructor standings, of course, Mercedes wrapping up five constructors championships in a row. Good grief, that's astonishing. Yeah, that is. Haven't seen that since Ferrari years. Yeah, both literally and figuratively. And I think, uh, I think uh, due respect needs to be done as well to uh, Tampleton's wingman, Nico Rosberg, who was not a wingman, and Valtteri Bottas, who may still be a wingman, but he still helped bring in that bread, and that's all that matters in the long run, isn't it? <laughs> Ferrari's at 553, Red Bull's at 392. And in the battle for fourth, Renault's Renault's got this one in the bag. They got a 24-point lead over Haas, 114 to 90. Uh, McLaren has mentioned they have a 14-point gap between them and Racing Point uh, for sits in the championship, 62 to 48. Sauber, they might get seventh, though. They're only six points behind Racing Point Force India, and they've been on a wave of momentum. Sorosso is stuck in stuck in neutral at 33. I think they got ninth place locked down and Williams. Uh, ooh. ooh, and it's it on paper it looks like that uh, Force India they could have been in a position where they would have be racing for fifth in the constructors in Abu Dhabi, but due to having their points reset. Now they have to settle for seventh. So that's literally costing them millions of dollars. Yeah. If you take the Formula One, if you take the uh, the 48 points they have, and if you add that with the points they had before the halfway point of the season, um, you would have um, you know, good points all. That's 48 plus 59. If I do the math, that's a lot of points. That's 107 <laughs> yes. points. That's seven points away from where Renault are now. Yeah. Like, they would be, you know, the battle for fourth would be really entertaining. There'd still be a battle for fifth, but, you know. <laughs> All right. And the next race is the final one. It's the Abu Dhabi. Well, it's not really a double now. But uh, yeah. <laughs> but it does have three races. We have the Formula 2 finale. We have the GP3 finale. And, of course, we have the last race of the Formula 1 season. On November 25th, it's almost over. <laughs> it's almost over. This has been a good season. I can't complain. And and if, if nothing else, if the Formula One race sucks, the, the junior categories are going to be awesome. 
Oh, yeah, the finales on finales. Oh, yes. And we're going to talk about Junior Formula marquee events here in a bit. Um, And also, we want to say hello as we're recording to Andre Harrison. Hi, Dre. Glad you could join us here from Padre Power. Um, (laughs) Shall we take a quick musical interlude and get to the news and what comes ahead, King? Yes. Hit that music. Before we start, I want to thank many people for making this possible. I want to thank God for in whom all things are possible. And I want to thank Zach Brown for in whom everything is possible, especially runs at the Triple Crown. I want to thank the fine folks at Logitech who do not make my racing wheel that sits on my desk, but whom have a solid track record of making other fine products. I want to thank Kamoa Swimwear, for whom I am fully invested as a minority stockholder. And Coca-Cola, I want to thank Hilton Hotels and Dell Technologies. And buddy, they may drink champagne, they may drink milk in Victory Lane in Indianapolis. But when Fernando Alonso comes back to win in 2019, buddy, we are <laughs> popping bottles of Shandon Baby! I'm out here living my best life. Fernando Alonso is coming back to the Indy 500 2019 with McLaren. Put your bets on Nando. Fred Watch has come to fruition. He is back in the 500. Day of Classics 4 has a lead. <laughs> oh, God. Lead story for Day of Classic 4 is here already. God damn it. Nando back. Nando back. <laughs> and uh, Life is good because Nando is great. And it's... It's gonna be a little different. Yes. So McLaren plans to operate their own entry. It won't be McLaren with with Andretti Autosport. Huh. You say that because Michael Andretti did put out a tweet shortly afterwards when he was asked, you know, would they be involved? And Michael Andretti tweeted, we will, just like in 2017. <laughs> tweet has since been deleted but the screen caps are still out there yes because zach brown said in a press conference the a mclaren racing entry will differ from its andretti partnership in 2017 so you're thinking there may be more than just one mclaren on the grid in indy uh they've hinted at there being a second mclaren Mm -hmm. but they haven't confirmed a second mclaren Mm -hmm. There, there is a McLaren on grassy knoll somewhere. And somewhere Nick DeVries is not going to get to touch that seat. <laughs> Poor Nick DeVries, the most forgotten of the McLaren juniors, not named Gary Paffett. But yeah, uh, all, uh, all, all hype aside, that's awesome that Alonzo's coming back. You know, there was that saga of, will he, won't he? You know, ultimately, this is what he wants to do. Maybe he's not in it for the long to fall in any car, but he definitely wants to win that Indianapolis 500 to get that triple crown. Yeah, part, part of me really believes that Alonzo is only here for the 500. He's not really interested in a full season. Going triple corona, swim, wear, Kamoa. And there are already, I, I know there were rumors going around that Toyota is attempting to retain Fernando Alonso after the super season. 
And you know, who, uh, what is Toyota also involved in? Ooh, oh no. Oh no, does it, does it involve uh, it, it, invo- cars? it involves a 500. <laughs> and the contract does say 500. I've used this joke before. It's the Daytona 500. He's been rumored to do that, especially after Alonzo and JJ car swap. Alonzo JJ car swap. Oh my god, we we need to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I, we did talk about it somewhat. Yeah, it's uh, Fernando Alonso is going to be back in Indy. He's going to draw tons and tons of international attention. I'm going to revel in all of it right up until the point that he uh, that he spins out or gets taken out in a wreck or his engine broke blows up and twenty does go again. But that's fine. You can't. You cannot break. You cannot break my indomitable spirit. And in Zach, we trust. In Nando, we trust. <laughs> I will. <sighs> Everything is wonderful, and it's all branded in Kimoa. I'm I'm ready to get on board the Fernando Alonso Express. The the hype train is the hype train's already started. <laughs> if you if you if you're not on the train right now, that train's not stopping, and it's a bullet. Because it's going to cost you a lot of commode gear to get back on that train. <laughs> and I'm here for all of it. Oh, man. That's so awesome. Other stuff that is not Fernando Alonso news happened in the world of motorsport, including confirmation of something that was rumored at the time we recorded last week's episode. It was made official the day after we recorded it on brand with Motorsport 101. Formula One is officially going back to Vietnam in 2020 in the streets of Hanoi. Wait, going back to Vietnam? Oh my god! <laughs> you know what? Eh, it's fine. It's fine. Also, I'm brand. RJ flubs his words. I'm brand. <laughs> you, you know exactly what he's saying, but you know, you know, you know what he means. So the Hanoi Grand Prix Street Circuit is going to join in 2020, and uh, that track layout with that kilometer half long straightaway, it's real, and it's taken it's, it's taken inspiration obviously from Baku. Miami, and a little bit of Suzuka and Silverstone as well with the essence at the uh, north end of the track. Oh, like, hmm. The layout, it's intriguing. I think it'll work well with the with the current specification of car, but it's proven to be highly divisive. <laughs> yeah, such, a, such as always the case when Formula One goes to an emerging market that is not Europe. Um... You know, yeah, uh, that's the same way. I'm pretty sure that's me paraphrasing what I felt about Baku, where it's like I think the, I think track would be good for the current specification car, but the track's really divisive. Though I have a lot of other problems with this event. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's very valid. I, I at least take up. It's not often that you'll hear me say like Tom Bellingham of WTF One makes a good point, but he's right. You know, Formula One's the healthiest it's ever been, and yet we're so resistant to it growing and branching out in different markets. Maybe Vietnam isn't the best market, but this race is at least has the potential to be good. Yeah, it has the potential to be good. Um, I have a feeling a lot of the negativity about this event is being uh, it's because circulated by one single journalist who shall not be named. <laughs> oh man. Um, well. Let's just say we need a little bit of silt for this pepper. Um, <laughs> and I'll tell you that, um, oh yeah, did we also hear the story about how the uh, they made the uh, all the downforce they were going to slash off back in Might here? Might be back. <laughs> so yeah, they'll be good for this specification of cars. 
You have a you had a Formula E scoop that we that we didn't talk about in the show, but we swear we did, but we didn't. But we're going to talk about it now. King, what's your Formula E scoops? Uh, my boy, Max Gunther. Not He's going to be in Formula E at Dragon Racing next year. Well, this year. <laughs> it's not Ferdinand Habsburg, but it is one of his boys. Matsy Gunther is the final man on the roster. He's going to drive for Dragon Racing. Good good move? Great move, because I... Being completely real, my boy Max Gunther, he didn't really stand a large chance at getting a Formula 1 seat, and... To me, if, if you race in open wheels and you could continue racing in single-seaters longer in your career, good on you. Yeah. I want to look more at his last two years in Formula 3. He was 2016 vice champion of Lance Stroll at Prima, and then in 2017 he was behind only Lando Norris and Joel Erickson. Um, he's won multiple races. He even won a Formula 2 sprint race, but Arden cannot consistently deliver the goods so he's his performances have been kind of wasted this year but he's a genuinely good talent he's only 21 years of age he's gonna get a he's gonna get a chance to race at the highest level and that's really what you want yeah and again probably uh even though it's seeming more and more likely that albon won't be in the series it's it's really good that you can get someone with the, you know, resume and youth of Max Gunther into Formula E. Yeah, which, by the way, low-key, he's the youngest driver on the grid. Yeah, at 21. <laughs> something, something, Formula E is just a retirement home for old drivers. Nah, <laughs> nah, bat you away. Folks, um, Gunther and Jose Maria Lopez, good team? Really good team. Do you think the car is going to be good enough? Ooh. That's always I the d- tricky spot because Dragon Racing were second to last. Neil Yanni, of course, famously just left after two races, and then they got better. Yeah, because I don't know. It's, Formula E's in that weird spot where obviously we know Audi are quick, but everyone else, there's a question mark mm-hmm. where it's like, Everyone is worried about their pace. Why everyone feels like they don't have a grasp on this current-gen car, which is probably, in terms of creating a good racing product, is the best thing to have. Oh, definitely, yeah. So if I uh, so if I look at the uh, the drivers that I would consider rookies in this championship, you got Gunther, you got Stoffel Van Dorn, Gary Paffitt, of course. You have uh, you have Felipe Massa. You have whoever's going to be driving alongside Sebastian Buemi. Uh, you have Alexander Sims, and you have uh, Pascal Verlein. Out of that group, who would you take as your unofficial 2018-19 Formula E Rookie of the Year? Yeah, I'd say the rookie of the preseason to me is probably Pascal Verlein. He's pro like depending on who's in the Nissan, uh, Pascal's in the best situation to succeed. I wouldn't be surprised if Alexander Sims. Um, follows through with some podiums yeah he's got some he's got some big time racing pedigree should we forget that he is uh one of the drivers of big made and of course Stoffel van Dorn and gary paffitt are going to be determined as well to prove their points um and we mentioned as well that mclaren signed a brazilian test driver for the future and sergio sete camera 
Not long after, Haas decided they wanted some of that action as well, and they wanted to go third generation, buddy. They got Pietro yep. Fittipaldi as their test driver for 2019. Yep, their new test driver over at Haas is Pietro Fittipaldi, who, man, if somebody told me at the start, if someone told me at the start of the year and at the midway point of the year that that Haas was going to sign Pietro Fittipaldi as their test driver, I'd be like, nah, that's not going to happen. Um, so if you uh, so if you take like the series mentioned in Pietro Fittipaldi's wiki page, the NASCAR Wheel and All American Series, the Pro Tire Formula Renault Championship, uh, the Verizon IndyCar Series, the World Endurance Championship, did you think this would have ended up at Haas? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Yeah, the NASCAR Wheel and All American Series road to Formula One. Pietro's a Pietro's a solid driver. Of course, he won the uh, the last Formula. I can't believe it's not Renault V8 3.5 Series title in 2017. But of course, which potentially, like to me, seemed like the 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 signature on his death certificate for his F1 career because he received no zero license super points. license points. And then, of course, he got that IndyCar <laughs> drive, and you're thinking, oh man, Fittipaldi at Indy, this is going to be awesome. Then he breaks his legs at Spa for the six hours, and he misses. Uh, several months of action comes back at mid Ohio before he's really even ready to and comes back pretty strong and picks up a ninth place finish at Portland. All things considered with how disjointed his season was with the injury. He didn't do all that bad. Yeah, he didn't do all that bad and he got rewarded for it. And of course now he's, of course his brother Enzo might be every bit as good as not, if not better as he's rising the ranks and, and, you know, you got to wonder, you know, there were no Brazilians in the Brazilian Grand Prix for the first time since 1970. This time out, I don't think it may be long until you have one on the grid pretty, pretty soon. Yeah, there's there's a lot knocking down, knocking at the door. Uh, and I, I find it funny that Dale Coyne essentially traded Santino Ferrucci for Pietro Fittipaldi. <laughs> I think Haas got the better side of that trade. Yeah, I think Haas won that deal. <laughs> So the weekend ahead, you know, we could talk about the championship four in NASCAR. Yeah, it's the big three in Joey. It's an episode of Friends. Kevin Harvick's probably going to win, and that's probably going to make like half of this Discord server mad. Because yeah. they just don't, they just don't like free blooming onions. They don't respect what what free <laughs> appetizers at Outback Steakhouse bring. Um, no, it's a. Uh, it's Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., Kevin Harvick has dominated most of the Cup Series season, and Joey Logano all fighting for the championship four. But none of that matters because, King, it is Macau week. Yep, it is. Oh, God. I would say the the wildest weekend in Formula 3 of the Formula 3 season. But not just Formula 3. It's touring cars. It's GT oh. cars. It's super bikes for some reason because the Isle of Man TT wasn't dangerous enough. <laughs> oh my god. It's like, hey, I heard you guys like the chaos of plate racing. What if that was on a street circuit? What if you like pileups, right? What if they blocked the whole <laughs> By the way, FIA GT Cup. Do we have another track blocking wreck which causes millions and millions and millions of dollars in damage? Part of me wants to believe that drivers will be more aware like this year because it happened last year. Yeah. Part of me wants to believe that they think it can't happen because it happened last year. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a good grid, but it's also a very, very small grid of, I want to say, 15 cars. I mean, granted, of those 15 cars, you get some top-tier talent. You get Lor- you get Robin Friends. You get Lawrence Banther and Bamber. You get uh, you get you get Eduardo Mataro. You get Sujio Matsuda, the winningest Super GT driver of all time. I mean, that's a stacked lineup. Yeah, stacked, unstacked, unstacked. Uh, unfortunately, are in on the F three side of the entry list. Unfortunately, our good friend and and savior to us all TVA again loses a seat at the last second to <laughs> to European Formula 3 front runner uh I think Alex Paolo got this yeah, Oh no Alex Paolo was always locked in Yuhi Sekiguchi was the TBA coming back for a sits Macau Grand Prix out of the Super Formula Championship Oh <laughs> a race he almost won in 2011 before he even got his first factory drive but uh, let's take you through the uh, let's take you through this grid um, because it's a good grid. High Tech Grand Prix, their highlights are going to be Inam Ahmed and Jake Hughes, who is dominating the first year of Formula Three Asian Championship. Charles Long is also there from F3H as well. Uh, Van Amersfoort Racing, their swan song from Formula Three as we know it. Sophia Florsch is going to be our girl in the race, as she should be because Sophia Florsch is awesome. Kevin Andresuri and Frederick Vesti is stepping up from the ADAC Formula 4 Championship. Why don't we swing things over to the Japan side of things? Um, Toto Racing have Toshiki Oyu and Senasakaguchi, who is named after Ritten. Doot, doot, doot. And <laughs> Freebon Racing bring Ukio Sasahara, um, who is of no relation to Ukio Katayama. They just wear the same helmet style. BMAT's racing team again, it's Yuhi Sekiguchi, it's Alex Palo, and of course, BMAT's racing team is not complete without 51-year-old Ryuji Dragon Kubita. He's back! Yeah, on the entry list, like, this is something that you would see on an entry list from, like, the 1930s or 1950s. It's a nom de course, where it's like, on the entry list, it's just Dragon. He is also the owner of BMAT's racing team. And again, he's 51 <laughs> years old and qualifies as a national class Formula 3 champion. The sleeper in the field? Probably Team Toms. Shosu Boy won 15 out of 17 races this year. Rotoma Miata picked up the other two. They are always good around Macau. They've been to this Tonga dance a couple of times. Look for them to be a surprise in this race. Carlin, oh. well, we know they're no commodity from uh, from Europe to USA. Jayan Daravala, Callum Islet coming back from GP3, Renault Jr. Sacha Fenestraz, and in a wild card, also from uh, Japan F3, Yoshiaki Katayama, a former national class champion. Interesting signing. Ooh, that team. Now here come the European powerhouses. It all comes down to Moto Park <laughs> and SJM Theodore Racing by Prima, or just Prima. And in this fight, you have the ultimate narrative of babyface challenger versus tweener heelish champion. Yeah. Mick Schumacher for Prima versus Dan Tictum for Moto Park. It's on. <laughs> it's on. Oh, and we didn't even mention their teammates yet. Mick Schumacher will have Guan Yu Zhao, Ralph Aaron, Marcus Armstrong, and Robert Schwartzman as his teammates. 
Moto Park will bring out not only Tickdom, but Joel Erickson, DTM factory driver for BMW. He's back! Yuri Vips, in his first appearance as a Red Bull Jr., Marino Sato, no relation to Takuma, and of course, King Your Boy's back. Yep. Back for another chance to redeem himself. Ferdinand Habsburg. Oh, Jesus. We're staying up late to watch this, aren't we? Yeah, forget Survivor Series. This is the Survivor Series you need to be watching. Oh, God. Out of that whole field. <laughs> Out of that whole field. What do you got to take? Oh, man. I'm telling you. Since it's summer, it's been mixed here. I think it yeah, gets it. I don't, me too. I think this is going to, like... It's pro- we're probably going to get it proven wrong spectacularly. We're going to have a first lap pileup like... that takes out half of the grid. <laughs> it feels like this is the the, the coronation, the, the big ending to the summer of Mick. All he has to do is get through his old rival one more time. There's a 10-lap qualifying race, and then there's a 15-lap main race on Sunday. The main race is for all the money. And we all know how it ended last year. <laughs> That's right. 2017. Sergio Sade camera leads going into the final corner. Ferdinand Habsburg passes him around the outside. They both go into the wall. Dan Tickdom picks up the pieces and wins. <laughs> What'll happen this year? And man, I, I would say that that win, like, people say that wins change careers it really felt like that macau gp victory changed antictum's career it brought him back on the map it essentially brought him back into the fold at red bull yeah and man whoever wins this race it'll truly change their career this is truly where east meets west this is the macau grand prix the formula three world cup damn right damn right this is gonna be awesome i'm i'm all in on a dragon overall podium (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. I, I want to watch Money Bird. <laughs> Isn't that what the cow's for? Pretty much. Millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars in damage. Please let the bike riders get out of this safely for fuck's sake. Yeah. That's like the only time I don't want to see a crash in Macau. <laughs> oh, man. That should be a lot of fun. And I think. Unless we've missed anything important in the last few uh, we got We got one story. We got one story because we've hit the cliff. <laughs> and <laughs> if that wasn't subtle enough, breaking news from Pharrell. <laughs> Go on. So, well, it's not breaking, breaking, but it's breaking for Pharrell. Uh, so, Pirelli have revealed that they'll be running thinner thread tires next year. Uh, they didn't... They didn't openly tell anyone, but they ran them at three races this year, because that's how much the compounds matter, guys. <laughs> oh, man. So, so basically, they tested it at three races this year. If if I really wanted to be a terrible person about this, I wouldn't tell you which ones they are, but they ran them at the Spanish Grand Prix, the French Grand Prix, and the British Grand Prix. Uh, basically, they believe that at the higher speed tracks that the thinner threads would you know make the tires more manageable they would reduce overheating issues and blistering and pretty much they felt that yeah it it would help tire management 
everywhere if they ran th- thinner thread tires. So they're like, in 2019, we'll use them at every single Grand Prix. Man, I am so ready for things to absolutely not change when somebody else gets the tire contract. <laughs> Oh, God. I think the way the tire contract got set up, that it's only going to be Pirelli because no one's going to make current spec tires and new spec tires in the span of two years. Ah, oh, man. Everything is wonderful and nothing hurts. Ooh. I can't. But I think Pirelli got this. I think as much as people like to drag on Pirelli, they're they're good at their jobs. Yeah, I mean, I mean heck, there have been worse. There have been much, much worse. Yeah. Oh, man. Before we get into any trouble with any rubber companies that have not yet sponsored us <laughs> and are threatening to pull their sponsorship. Um, I love you, Michelin! <laughs> do you think... <laughs> oh, buddy. Um, yeah, we got Macau next week. NASCAR is happening next week and the week after we got the Formula One season finale. And Dre will be back. Dre will also be back for Bike Live. Um, which is recorded later this week, and you can listen to this and that and this podcast on wherever you find your fine podcast. Our hub is motorsport101.com or youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101, twitter at motorsport underscore 101. If you wish to follow us personally, we're at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, that's with two Ks, at RJ O'Connell with two Ns and two Ls. And, of course, if you back us financially at patreon.com forward slash motorsport101, if you back us the $5 level, you get early access to all of our shows. At the $10 level, you can listen to us as we're recording. Or you can just be Dre and listen in during the middle of our show. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Before we do any more collateral damage, we wish to bid you farewell until the next episode, episode 170, The Big Fish, obligatory darts reference. He's been Ryan King. I've been RJ O'Connell. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode. Here you go. Bye. On Ryuji Kumita winning the Macau Grand Prix. And I need to mention how fantastic treadless intermediates are, guys. That is the best thing ever. (laughs) Oh, buddy. This that sounds promising.